Give it up, baby. I've studied all your moves. Yeah, study this! <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Forbidden Technique podcast on the Fightside Podcast Network. Myself, your host, Silas Martin. My co-host is always Christian Reynolds. And today, we are mostly going to be looking back at uh, last weekend's pay-per-view, UFC 276. Uh, but we will be dedicating some time towards the end of the podcast, mostly towards uh, this weekend's uh, particularly fascinating lightweight top contenders main event between Rafael Dos Anjos and Rafael Fazeev. I'm just going to be putting hard R's on all of those because it's going to get fucking confusing. Uh, but first, let's uh, get into some of the results from this pay-per-view. Uh, get the boring one that no one cares about out of the way first. Israel Adesanya defeats Jared Cannonier uh, by being a much better kickboxer than him. Yeah, he didn't go deep into his tool set at all. He was kind of doing a lot of the stuff he did in the Vittori fight, like just finding neat uppercuts into head kick setups. But that seems to be all Izzy wants to do at this point. So we need to stop considering him as like this elite kickboxer that knocks everyone out when he's just not that anymore. He, he's still very good at kickboxing. He's good enough to where he can neutralize good strikers by MMA standards really easily. And with like almost no actual effort put for like put forth, but that's not the same as what he was doing when he first got in MMA and was just fucking like sparking people or, or like attrition beating the shit out of them until he could finish them. I, I think he's just regressed a lot as a striker at this point. Yeah, I think he has definitely settled into what one might call a championship style, and um, I don't particularly fucking appreciate it. I liked Israel Adesanya when he was actually just like styling on fools and destroying people. But it's kind of, you know, it's hard to criticize him. He, you know, you could maybe say he let the like Whitaker and UL fights be a lot closer than they needed to be. But, um, you know, he keep just kind of defending his title, as you say, mostly effortlessly. Uh, he didn't really have any trouble at all in this fight. Cannoneer landed a few good shots when he was like really dedicated to coming forward and putting combinations together, but mostly anything he landed would get rolled and mitigated and then Israel would be able to get in on a clinch entry and burn some time there to get his shit together and get back to work. Uh, Cannoneer tried uh, kicking the legs and body, which everybody has been saying you got to do against Israel Adesanya, but it's kind of not that simple just because Israel's pretty diligent about just like picking off naked kicks from range. And generally people are just too far behind in exchanges with him to be able to like uh, have the wherewithal to catch him on exits, which was exactly what was happening with Cannoneer here. All of his kick attempts were just, were just thrown blind from long range. And he still got some through, but yeah, you know, Going to have to do more than land a few low kicks on Israel Adesanya for that to actually be like uh, contributing towards any kind of actual win condition in any way. So, um, 
looking like Israel Adesanya is probably going to fight Alex Pereira next. That's at least interesting because uh, Alex Pereira is a good kickboxer and obviously has the knockout win over Israel Adesanya. And it'll be interesting to see, given all of the time and the stylistic developments, how uh, Israel would approach that fight at this point. Uh, could be a chance for him to really you know, get back to his roots and remind everyone why they were so excited about him coming into the UFC. And, you know, it really could also be one of those cases of, do you want to play this, like, low-paced, neutralizing game and let someone hang around who you know has the ability to fucking kill you in a single shot? Yeah, it's worth noting that in their first two fights, Pereira won maybe 30 seconds of both fights combined. Like, Pereira kind of got his ass beat in those fights, but I think Israel has regressed quite substantially to where now the actual exchanges are going to be competitive, which is difficult for Izzy. And of course, we'll talk more about the matchup whenever it's coming up, but for for this fight in particular, I think it's worrying that Izzy's style of just kind of doing the bare minimum to win a decision almost backfired, because he was definitely, like, losing parts of rounds three and four, because can you changed up anything at all like if you're giving people that much room to to make changes then you're you're gonna eventually run into someone that can make the, enough of a change to win because cannoneer started doing stuff on uh on clinch entries he started catching kicks and then just like trying to power through get izzy to the cage and throw power shots like izzy was wise to it and like doing all right defending it but he also ate way too many clean shots and didn't do enough to seal the round himself so I had the fight 2-2 going into the fifth in a not competitive fight at all, just because Izzy wasn't doing enough. I like I didn't even think it was that bad of a fight. You know, people were saying that it was some of the like one of the worst fights they've fucking seen this year, but it was not that bad. It was just okay if you, and then if you contrast it with Izzy's better performances or more exciting fights, it was a terrible fight. But as just independently, the fight was fine. It didn't feel like a title fight. It felt like a random middleweight fight off the prelims which is like kind of embarrassing because there was better ones on the card like Brad Tavares versus Driscus Duplessis yeah Izzy, Izzy needs to like punctuate rounds more because even the Rob Whitaker fight like I thought the second fight was like really clear for Izzy but a lot enough people didn't think it was clear to where it shows enough flaw in his style for getting to decisions yeah, I and mean, even though I agree that he won the fight reasonably clearly, I just think it shows enough cracks that could come back to bite him down the line if he keeps fighting this way. Definitely. Um, but yeah, uh, who cares about that? Uh, co-main event. Uh, been a lot of shit posting about this one in the Forbidden Technique chat because uh, we are incredibly biased towards Max Holloway, and we were completely honest about that. And it's very fun to pick teams. Mm-hmm. But um, at this point, what, what can we say? Uh, Alexander Volkanovsky is a fucking MMA prodigy. Uh, anyone who has Kamaru Usman ranked above him pound for pound is incorrect, I'm going to say politely. Um, he just uh, comprehensively solved Max Holloway in a way that 
I don't really even care about the controversial result of the second fight at this point. And I'm okay if they don't fight again. He kind of just synthesized everything that worked and didn't work for him over the course of the first two fights and had more layers that he could go to uh, over the extended series that Max Holloway could. It seemed a little bit like Max Holloway wanted to build on his successes from the second fight and came in with a similar approach and it seemed like Volk knew how close that fight was and you know, still made adjustments for all of the stuff that gave him struggles in that second fight and um, just stopped Max Holloway from ever getting going. Even like let Max Holloway come forward and just neutralized him off the back foot, had the initiative in every exchange because of the way that he was able to uh, just freeze Max Holloway up with uh, feints and jabs and um, constantly countering him with, with huge right hands on the way in. Comprehensive performance, one of the most impressive title defense performances I've ever seen in MMA. Not even mad. Volk's the fucking man. Yeah, I have to start uh, by saying I lost a bet, so I have to say Volk is the living embodiment of my worst nightmares. All he does is punk my favorite fighters. Next, he will make Charles his bitch, and I will cry myself to sleep for a fortnight. Okay, now that that's out of the way, uh, I, I thought Max actually did some, like, all right. He had some all right ideas that weren't very well thought through, and if you try some half-assed shit against Volkanovski, he's going to punish you very severely for it. To me, it seemed like Max's approach was, I'm going to try and come out hot in rounds two, three, and four, because in the first fight, I got shut out for three rounds, and then in the second fight, I got kind of neutralized for three, the last three rounds. So if I just try and win the middle of the fight, then then that's like a good in-between stage. But instead, he just let Volk uh, create a damage lead so that by the time the fifth round came around, Max couldn't really keep himself up in exchanges without risking getting knocked out. And it also let Volk build a lead that he only had to keep instead of getting back in the first round. So Max started out the, by losing the first round. Then in rounds two, three, and four, it seemed like he wanted to pick it up, but he kept getting shut down because Volk had established so many threats that Max hadn't. And he had also addressed many of the threats that Max had set up in previous fights. Like Max didn't kick as much in this fight as he did even in the first fight because every attempt was stifled so fucking hard in the first round and, and Volk's range was just so tight. His positioning was really good. Like I, I saw a few tactical things Max maybe could have tried, like punishing Volk's L-steps, but it, like Volk wasn't being predictable about it that, that much. He, he was just kind of like he, he was very aware of everything Max was trying to do like two or three steps before Max could even try it. So it's kind of like the most relevant fight in like the last several years of combat sports to me, because it's the best MMA fighter ever easily dominating the second best MMA fighter ever. Like the second, the second best MMA fighter took like a, a slight step back. Like I, th I thought Max looked a bit slower. I thought he looked less confident in his chin than in previous fights, but that's all stuff that we're kind of need to, gonna need to wait to see pan out in later fights because if max comes back looking good as ever against his next opponent then it'll make it an even greater win for volk and then even if max looks like shit in his next fight it's still wow volkanovsky really takes over if max loses even a single step yeah i, I tend to think max is still pretty much all there and uh and uh, volk 
just fucking has his number at this point. Max was trying his like slip to the left and throw a right hand, like with a little bit of delayed time. He was trying that so much and it was not having great results. It was a little frustrating watching him just try certain things that were working in other fights over and over. He he kind of made Max look rote, which is a testament to how good Volk is. Uh, Volk was able to, um, I think, make a lot better use of the grap- what grappling exchanges there were in this fight as well. Because while neither fight was able to get takedowns and the exchanges were mostly neutral, uh, Volk was pretty much always able to turn Max to the cage and was way more consistent about being the one to break with offense in this fight, which was just a, a particular like, kind of transitional phase where Max constantly had the initiative in the first fight and was pretty much always finding offense whenever they whenever they were in those situations. It really seemed like any idea Max had on like how to get into the fight, Volk had like three or four better ideas. So, you know, Max caught on to certain things from the first and second fight that he capitalized on throughout. Like he landed a, a decent flying knee on Volk that didn't really hurt Volk at all. I couldn't even tell if it landed perfectly clean. It just, it landed decent. Uh, and that was like the one time that round that he did anything to Volk. So, it, and I was like watching, trying to be as neutral as I could tr- to give rounds to whoever I thought deserved it. And, and really, like, I couldn't find a round for Max. No. Same as the second fight. Um, but yeah, he pretty much, uh, he pretty much did all of his best work in the second and fourth round, and he didn't really come close to having an argument for winning either of those. So, I mean, where where do these guys go from here? Because Max, I'm sure, could go and just beat up another two or three. You know, he 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 could he could just beat up like Arnold Allen and Josh Emmett and like one other guy. And then, and then just be back in a title shot. Um, I don't see Volk losing anytime soon, but I don't know. Volk's talked about going up to lightweight. Max has previously talked about going up to lightweight. I kind of don't want to see Volk go up to lightweight. Um, you know, people have said he's cleared out the division. And <clears throat> yeah, while at this point there's no one at Featherweight that I'm like, oh yeah, this is the guy who's going to sol- solve Volkanovski. There's just a ton of. Um, you know, solid and dangerous and interesting style matchups for Volk. And I just want to see champions defend their belts. I'm going to say the obvious thing that Max should go to lightweight because that's the narrative for the last like three years of Max's career is that, Hey, why is he not at lightweight now? Yeah. So yeah, maybe I think now is the time he's 30, you know, and then when he's 35, go up to welterweight. Why don't you just go straight to welterweight? Yeah, fuck it. Division's Why not? Bad. Who's going to be able to take him down? Yeah, get some punching power. Just get jacks. Drink muscle milk. Sounds great. Uh, but if he wants to stay at featherweight, like I could see matchups that he would just easily eviscerate his opponent. Still, I mean, pretty much all like Arnold them. Allen. Yeah, I respect Arnold Allen, but if you give him Max Holloway, I'm pretty sure Max Holloway would kill him. In the kind of the same goes for Volk. Like Volk wants to fight Charles. But I think that's a really bad fight for Volk. So if I'm trying to make fights in Volk's best interest, I think he should defend the featherweight belt like three or four more times and then hope that Charles has aged out of lightweight. I don't know. It's like, it's like hard to really assess what each guy should do going forward because this feels like a good end to both of their careers. Yeah. 
And I don't know, I'm definitely, I'd definitely be interested in that uh, Volk uh, Charles matchup. It kind of seems like um, the obvious thing for both of them to go to lightweight just because what's left at featherweight for Max and like who can you even see giving Volk trouble at featherweight? I, th- I think Josh Emmett could be uh, an interesting fight. The the difficulty with assessing where Volk should go after this fight is that though it, it was a, a ridiculously impressive fight and he beat the second best fighter ever in my opinion, like very handily. It's still a guy he's fought ten rounds with before, so like you fucking better come up with some shit to neutralize a guy if your your whole thing is being the the really effective neutralizer that takes away people takes away people's weapons and and then counters them. This is what I mean. I just want to see him against I want more matchups, even even if they're guys who I assume he's going to destroy easily. Uh, great champions defend. Yeah, like they're more interesting fights. There are more interesting fights, and I want to see him against Emmett because Emmett was doing things against Cater that could be kind of difficult for Volk, but I also can see a lot of ways Volk would like really easily maneuver it. Yeah, I kind of think Volk would like m- probably knock out Emmett in like two rounds. Oh, yeah. I think he should, but uh, Emmett was doing good work to the body. Volk's still hittable to the body. Like the The issues that Volk's had in every fight since he entered the UFC are kind of still there he just has so few and they're all insulated by like a really deep game outside of that and it's not like he's never been in trouble i'd still like to see him fight like yair rodriguez just for the what the fuck factor yeah like i could definitely see him easily shutting him down yeah oh yeah i I, I would assume that he would absolutely destroy yair rodriguez um but uh, if there's anyone at Featherweight who I think could have just a random singular moment of absurd dynamicism and you know you know come close to to putting Volk out, it's just that kind of guy. You know, I, I can I can see a kind of a you know a condit GSP situation. You know, yeah, it, it would be very interesting to see. Uh, I there, like there's still fights for Volk at the weight, whereas Max Holloway, there's just so much more information on how he does against different matchups. To where you could make several analogs for, you know, like the Arnold Allen fight, or if he were to fight Josh Emmett, or if he were to fight uh, either of the guys he's already fought again, like Yair and Ortega. I mean, Josh Emmett's an interesting one because uh, it has been well documented that Max Holloway can't beat uh, short wrestle boxers. Yeah. This motherfucker but also lost a lot different. <laughs> he did, he did. But, uh, you know, there's there's different things that I could see Emmett doing that could make him difficult for both guys. I think he's kind of the sneaky, difficult matchup for for Volk and Max. But I still think both handle him pretty easily because though he has the power and, and he is very durable, he's just not the type of durable or the type of, uh, like, setup guy that knocks someone out like Volk or Max. Like, you're not just going to catch either of those guys unaware with like a big power shot max will see it coming and be able to take it and then volk will just not get hit by it yeah and josh emmett i've just said this he just doesn't have good shot selection for finishing people his only finishes ever are where he nukes someone with a single shot yeah so that that was an all-time great fight that i don't have that much to say about tactically oh but if you are interested in that then uh tuman was back with an episode of Tangra Dome the first time he's been able to make a podcast appearance in a long time. It was really good to hear. Really good to hear him again. Yes. 
he did a huge podcast going into a ton of depth about tactical things and dynamics about this fight. If you want to hear someone like just focus on the actually most interesting fight on the card, then like go listen to that. Always great to hear too. Yeah, and Dan Albert is, uh, is writing or has written an article by this point about the fight. So watch out for that. Uh, but before that, we had Alex Pereira versus Sean Strickland, and it was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, we got this one right, at least. Um, Sean Strickland is uh, an absolute fucking Rubik's Cube fucking puzzle for, like, defensively for most middleweight strikers in MMA. And uh, this was a fight that just showed the benefits of just, like, having fundamentals. Alex Pereira... Good kickboxer, definitely. Uh, technical flaws are kind of well documented in uh, not just his losses, but all of the fights where he's getting his ass beat until he randomly kills his opponent. Um, even that being said, uh, him just having the like footwork fundamentals to be able to work behind like kicks and long range straight shots and not put himself out of position against someone who just wanted to come forward against him. Uh, was a fucking cheat code in this fight. And, um, yeah, Sean Strickland has some janky defensive looks that just give MMA strikers absolute fits, whereas uh, Alex Pereira just kind of looked at him and was like, oh, he just constantly squares up in the pocket and doesn't move his head and, like, reaches for the hands constantly and just, like, throw away a body jab and then do a left hook. And, yeah, Strickland got caught. Stepping through completely square on one leg, swiping swiping for the hands, and then Pereira just finished in with a really nice, accurate straight shot as uh, Sean Strickland was standing up, which is timed perfectly as his balance was compromised to try and get back to his feet and uh, send him fucking flying. It was a cool knockout. I've watched it so many times. Yeah, we don't even really have to do analysis on it because Pereira did all that for us in the pre-fight package. He said, what makes me dangerous is my power, my range, and my timing. And then he timed Strickland on one leg while he was way closer than he thought he was to Pereira. And then Pereira hit him with like a soul-shattering left hook. And then uh, a soul-dusting right straight. Yeah, uh, yeah, Pereira, you know, he, he knows he's uh, like... He knows what his attributes are and that he relies on them. And that's an, that is an okay way to fight when you have those attributes. But it was still just like having like some actual, like, like, like some craft as a kickboxer just allowed him to uh, win easily. So, um, yeah, it kind of sucks for Sean Strickland to have actually put all of this work in to get to this point where he was in a title eliminator and then just to get like, uh, fed to this guy because he was the most favorable stylistic matchup uh at the ranking because the ufc wanted to push a narrative um but uh you know sean strickland had it coming uh, and also he was well aware of all of that and didn't even establish a takedown threat so yeah it's worth noting that there's a reason sean strickland was a favorite going into it is because he had tools to make the fight really difficult for Pereira, but he chose to do none of them he didn't use any of them and if you ask anyone that knows what they're talking about in regards to that fight, if if you ask either of us 
what is going to happen if Sean Strickland just tries to have his normal fight against Pereira and doesn't initiate any grappling exchanges? We, we would have said he's probably going to get knocked out with a left hook. Uh, that was what we said anyway. That's what most people would have said. <laughs> I, I, I thought that was going to happen regardless. I didn't know I could actually yeah. rely on Sean Strickland to be that fucking stupid. Yeah, I was thinking... You know, that's a good chance of happening, but I was also like, there's no way it's going to work out that perfectly. Like, Sean Strickland's totally going to try and throw a monkey wrench in it by grappling him for a round at least. Or just, like, holding him on the fence a little bit. And no, he he just didn't. He never collapsed distance. He let Pereira have whatever range he wanted to. He got eaten at by body jabs and then reached for one while on one leg and got nuked. Really embarrassingly. Yep. And, um... Just put Alex Pereira in a title shot now. There's nothing going on at middleweight. He hasn't like particularly earned it, but and he's not getting younger. No, uh, it's it's a story and it's interesting. Like, uh, who else do you have Israel Adesanya fight right now? Um, yeah, that's the issue. Strickland kind of need, needed this win to be able to earn a title shot as well because he hasn't really beaten anyone. So this really was just the number one contenders fight, even though Pereira didn't earn it prior. But at this point, he's earned it. He just beat the number four guy. You don't get extra points towards a title shot for beating more people before you beat the person you have to beat for a title shot. And Bruno Silva was underranked. I, I guess if we want to have Pereira have one more fight before the, the title shot, I say give him a tune-up. Are you going to say Darren Till? Yes. Give him a tune-up against Darren Till. Darren will faint at him for half a round and then get knocked out by a straight when moving backwards. Oh my god, he easy would, money. Darren Till would get so much more knocked out than Sean Strickland did in this fight. He would try and clinch Pereira a little bit, but probably get kneed in the body and then get put off from it. Either way, I just I want to see Pereira against every MMA striker. <laughs> Give him Wonder Boy. The, somehow the stars of a line just don't fuck this one up. Get him in the fight with Izzy now. And left hook go burr. Uh, Robbie Lawler versus Brian Barbarena. Uh, did, this was a banger. As insane of a war as we could have hoped for. Uh, it still made me sad. I knew it was going to. But, um, yeah, I mean, Brian Barberina, I mean, I mean, Robbie Lawler looked good early. Look, like he looked good defensively and was countering well. Uh, but Brian Barberina just like kept a pace that Robbie Lawler couldn't sustain. You know, Robbie Lawler's always taken rounds off, but you know, earlier in his career, he just had you know uh, both the physicality and defensive acumen to be able to manage that. Um, and he just kind of didn't have that anymore. Um, you know, it wasn't just a case of Robbie came out hot and then got tired because he was old and died. You know, Brian Barbarena did well to uh, adjust to Robbie's defense when, you know, because Robbie was doing a really good job of like parrying and rolling Barbarena's left hand and right hook. So uh, he started like um, making good adjustments to land elbows, like both off of the hand fight and just by like kind of playing them off of the, that kind of, uh, varied range and timing 
uh, compared to the punches that, that Robbie had kind of had got on a defensive read on. And uh, I think it was just the fact that Brian Barbarina was able to, you know, fight the fight that Robbie Lawler wanted to have, but then drag him into deep waters that he couldn't sustain. Because if you can just shut Robbie Lawler out and just make him have a measurable time and stay on top of him in, in the grappling, then he'll he'll just go defensive and just lose a decision. But uh, it was like Barbarina just like a, a baited out old war Robbie Lawler and uh, you just couldn't have that fight anymore. Yeah, I wasn't expecting Barbarina to be able to maintain that output because his last several fights, he hasn't really been fighting like he did in the Luke fight. But he really put it on Robbie the entire time. I think he threw something like 180 attempted strikes in the first round. Uh, or at least that's what they showed on the screen, which is pretty insane. I, I think just Robbie can't win the way that he used to against this type of matchup. Like, if we fought... If we had 33-year-old Robbie Lawler in the fight, he he definitely would have just knocked out Barbarina in like the first two rounds. He would have just slipped and ripped and knocked him out. But in this one, he was doing a lot of slip and ripping. He was he was getting like really nice like sneaky counters in. He was getting good uppercuts. He was hitting the body really well, but they just weren't authoritative enough to actually stop Barbarina and Barbarina is as hard to disincentivize of a guy as you can find in the sport. So it's kind of something where Luke not defending any headshots ever in that fight was kind of beneficial for him. Because imagine how tired he would have been by the time he actually need Barbarina if he was trying to defend every single thing Barbarina did at him. Yeah, and if he had defended the headshots, he would have made Barbarina go to the body. <laughs> yeah, would have made him lose even faster and probably actually lose. So, Barbara is a guy where if you're good, he'll he'll have like a difficult fight against you. But if you're really good but old, he'll like kind of make you look like shit after a while. Because he's 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 very sneaky. the The things he was doing with elbows off of his like with rhythm changes off his punches were really fucking slick. He was like tapping a jab, jab, switch stance, throw the other hand jab, and then stepping with an elbow. Because he knew that Robbie would be, you know, slipping into it. Folding elbow off the lead hand fight. Always love to see it. Yep. And Barbarain is not even like much of an elbow guy. He was just finding nice little ones because that was the thing to do in the in the matchup. Yeah, he's a fucking That was the that was the read. He's a dog, but he's a crafty dog. Um I mean Robbie Lawler should probably retire, right? Yeah, he's forty, and this was the best he's looked for a round, but against a really slow guy that's kind of considered a journeyman. Despite being very good. He got to have a couple of fights where he looked like classic Robbie. Yeah, this fight and the Diaz fight, or Diaz 2 fight, were fucking sick. So Good fights to go out on. Yeah, no, no reason for him to stay around. But he, he looked he looked good for a while. We got to see some classic Robbie Lawler defense. Yeah, and, and before this, uh, Pedro Munoz uh, easily beat Sean O'Malley. I mean, yeah, uh, judges all had it for him. Uh, he landed a ton of low kicks. Also had a bunch of them mitigated, but it kind of like didn't matter. He was just really insistent about landing low kicks, just spamming them off both sides, no matter what uh, stance Sean O'Malley was in. And yeah, um, there was a part in like the beginning of the second round, I think, where 
he fainted a low kick twice and then stepped through and kicked on the other side with his other leg. And it was... He mixed up O'Malley's brains. That, that shit was insane how, how good Pedro's leg kicks looked it was despite not actually hurting him. Like that was the, I I saw people saying Pedro looked bad. I thought Pedro looked really good. Um, I thought Pedro, but it was just like not doing as much as he used to because I think he's lost power as he's gotten older. Yeah, I thought he approached the fight wrong and still won. He was having an outside kickboxing match with O'Malley and just winning easily. Yeah, he he was doing like the thing that like strategically you'd be like, no, don't do this. You want to just be a fucking super powered Chris Moutinho and just just walk the guy down. O'Malley just doesn't hit hard when unless you make collisions for him. So if you are able to just sustain kicking him on the outside, why not do it? Because you're going to give him opportunities to counter you or like fade off, find an angle that's really nice and then try and put you away with power shots. But O'Malley just doesn't have power going forward, I think. Because anytime he got Pedro moving backwards in this fight, he would land something and Pedro's like, I don't fucking care and just kick him in the leg. I mean, Pedro is also unkillable. Yeah. But oh yeah, I mean, yeah, for, for anyone who actually like didn't catch this one, uh, it was a no contest because of an accidental lie poke from Sean O'Malley in the second round. Um, yeah, he, he poked both eyes. And O'Malley is trying to say that he knocked out Pedro. He's the first guy to finish Pedro Munoz. Wait, did he say that? Yeah, he said that multiple times. He's like, yeah, he was scared off my power. He wanted to quit. That is fucking hilarious. Pedro had to release his medical records to be like, no, my eye is fucked. Anyone who would conceive of Pedro Munoz quitting in a fight hasn't seen a Pedro Munoz fight. That's insane. He's especially not going to quit against a clown? Yeah, who he was beating. Like, like, like Jose Aldo. Maybe you could convince me Aldo would have no masked him if they had gotten to a fourth round, you know? But, you, you know, Aldo just completely shut him out, didn't let him get a single thing going, and beat the shit out of him, you know? Uh, this fight was way too close for... Like, there's, there's just no reason to take away that Sean O'Malley was on the way to winning this fight in any way from what actually happened in the fight. You know, all, all of the judges gave Pedro Munoz the first round. And O'Malley's leg had just started to start showing the effects of attrition right as he eye-poked Munoz. It's just the idea that the guy who willingly stood and traded right hands repeatedly with Cody Garbrandt would be like, Sean O'Malley punch scary. And he, he was having harder troubles tracking down Dominic Cruz than he was O'Malley by a ton. Because Dominic Cruz is better than Sean O'Malley. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, like, even just someone being elusive on the outside and kind of frustrating him is not enough to discourage him from trying. And O'Malley wasn't doing anything to discourage yeah, him. Yeah, and O'Malley was not frustrating uh, Pedro from the outside, you know, anywhere near as much as you would want to see for him to like be working towards his win condition. Um, so I guess, I guess you got to just rebook it. Yeah. See what, not make it five rounds. Make it 10. Yeah. Yeah. Just make it as many rounds as it takes for Sean O'Malley to recognize that he's not as good as Pedro Munoz. Cause at this point we need to see Sean O'Malley like taken out on a stretcher so that he can be like, Hey, you know, I, w- I fucking knocked that guy out so bad, I needed to take a nap real quick. They, they brought me back to the after party on that stretcher. I was fine. I was just, like, bored because I was winning so easily, so I wanted to go play Fortnite 
and and smoke a third of a gram joint. Is, is this just going to happen every time Sean O'Malley gets a step up? I mean, he's just going to totally lose the fight, but it, then there's going to be something kind of weird about the result that him and his weird little fan base can be like, well, no, he actually won that fight easily. He was at, he was actually tuning Cheeto Vera up and then his leg fell off for absolutely no reason. And that's the reason that he got knocked out within five seconds of being in full guard with Cheeto. And even going back to the Sukumtoth fight, there's been problems with O'Malley's uh, way that he structures trying to beat people. Like Sukumtoth is just durable. So he had Sukumtoth out on his feet and completely unaware of what was happening for like the entire second round. He just didn't finish him. And then in the third round, he broke his own foot kicking an elbow because his timing on kicks is not as clean as he thinks it is. And then, yeah, like Supentoth made a bad brain thinking decision because his fucking brain was rattled because O'Malley looked really good in the first round, then just kind of kept up winning the second round at a, a decent pace. So O'Malley's had issues that have always been there. This, this isn't new stuff that we're seeing with him fighting elite competition. He's just kind of never been ready for elite competition because he's not elite. That being said, can we get John Lilliker back in the UFC just one time to fight Sean O'Malley? Yeah. Yeah, have him versus O'Malley. You could give O'Malley even lighter touches than that that are still kind of unwinnable for him. Like Cody Stamen, you'd think, oh yeah, he might be able to get something done against Cody Stamen. In actuality, he would just get taken down, clinch-fucked, and probably overhanded a few times and not really be able to establish his footing to land with power. I'm pretty sure most fighters at the top of bantamweight or just outside the top of bantamweight either give him a nightmarishly difficult fight that O'Malley still could win or just demolish him. Like, if you put him against anyone in the top 10 of bantamweight right now, I think they all finish him over three. Can you imagine what Corey Sandhagen would do to that lad? Um, O'Malley wants to fight like Sandhagen a lot. He just doesn't have the goods to do it. Or the self-awareness. No, as we said, this was easily his most winnable matchup in the division and um, didn't come close to winning it. Like, oh my God, can you imagine Sean O'Malley against like Ricky Simone? Yeah, it would be a, a nightmare. Get destroyed. Yeah, it'd be so difficult for him. And we're mentioning, like, Ricky Simone has been knocked out before, you know? Like, it's not inconceivable to see him get finished by someone, but it would still be an uphill battle for O'Malley. Yeah, and he would have to do it. Like, it seems like he would have to just blast him early, which is, you know, a non-zero chance. Anything could happen. But, you know, like you mentioned Sandhagen, but if we give him uh, one of the, like, like, a, like give him Aldo, you know, like, like what the fuck's he going to do to Aldo? That's a, a higher ranked guy, definitely, and like a, a, one of the greatest fighters of all time. But he's not even like ranked the number one contender right now. I don't think. Like Aldo is is lost in the division, and a guy that good is is losing. O'Malley is is not ready for the top of bantamweight. I don't think he ever will be. But I don't know. You you can say, oh, he's young. You know, there's there's younger fighters. Pretty sure Corey Sandhagen's about the same age almost, and started training MMA way older. Okay, so anyway, I know you want to talk about this one, Christian. Oh, yeah. We somehow between us like perfectly synthesized this one because I was like, yeah, like Brad Riddell's definitely going to get hurt badly in the first round. I don't know if he's going to get finished, but he just starts too cold and is wrote with his shot selection in the first round and like concedes the back foot too easily. Jalen Turner's dangerous and starts hot and he's had great shot selection. 
And you were kind of like, yeah, I think Bradford House is just going to like uh, look tentative and unsure about the range and then like get hurt really bad and shoot into a guillotine. And that happened. Took uh, 45 seconds. Uh, Jalen Turner just like walked Brad Riddell down and uh, Brad Riddell threw a low kick and got clocked with a clean right straight and was like, oh, fuck all this noise and guillotined himself. Yeah, I, I liked what uh, Pippa said. Where he said, "Oh yeah, I, I love that this fucking su- supposed top level kickboxer is like, oh, I'm fighting someone with like like eight inches of reach on me that's f- fucking seven inches taller. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna throw a low kick from too far away and take the back foot against a a guy who wants to be coming at me. Like Jalen Turner wants to be a pressure fighter, just he's kind of spindly." and can't always enforce that if you really go at him. So Riddell had routes to victory in the matchup. Like He could have gotten really close and like tried to bully him. Uh, I think he's probably stronger than Turner, even though he's, he's shorter. Or maybe even because he's shorter. But really, just it looked like Turner was uh, two weight classes larger, so maybe not even that. It, it was just kind of a, a nightmare matchup for Riddell. And some people were seeing that it's, oh, it's a striker versus Riddell. Riddell is always in those. No, he isn't. Like, he's, he's not that good of a striker. He, he was, like, a pretty decent kickboxer, but he wasn't, like, like a top-level one or anything. He was, like, just outside the top ten. He, he was decent. So going to MMA, you'd think, oh, a guy that was just decent there would, is just going to take over in MMA. But there's so many specific things, like the, the range is annoying, the glove difference. And like Riddell's been showing glimmers of why he's not going to be able to hang around since his Jamie Malarkey fight. Yeah, everyone adapts to these things differently. And, you know, Brad Riddell is an MMA fighter. We talked about this. He takes down everyone he fights. Um, but it is absolutely a secondary skill set that is not particularly natural to him. And you, you know, it's, it's something that I've noticed that, you know, in like his fight with the. Uh, Raphael Fazeev, which we'll talk about later, he just, you know, he he has like fundamentals, but he, he just, he's not like aware in transitions because he has to think about all of the individual stages of a grappling exchange because it's just not as natural to him as the striking uh, elements of the fighting are. So, oh yeah, if you get buzzed and just like shoot a sloppy double against uh, you know, just a, a dangerous guy with huge long arms, you, you're going to get front choked. And he got front choked into being mounted guillotined. Like, he doesn't have the the athletic ability to just fucking hoss out of that situation. So he needs to get better. But I don't think he's going to get better at this point. I think he's reached his ceiling. Yeah, I think he is basically exactly Drew Dober. Kinda. Drew Dober Dober couldn't knock someone out to save his life. Yeah. <laughs> and once again, I reiterate, get Brad Riddell fight against Terrence McKinney. Oh, oh you, you definitely make it now. It makes so much sense. They're both coming off losses. On every every level, it makes perfect sense. If they want Terrence McKinney to go far, he might knock out Riddell. If they want Riddell to bounce back, he's going to have a banger with McKinney, regardless of win or lose. There's anyone who Brad Riddell... Like might be able to finish. Uh, it's Terence McKenney. If he could not get finished by Terence McKenney in the first minute, which uh, you know this fight 
Yeah, kind of makes me less sure of that. Uh, Jim Miller for fucking guillotine Donald Cerrone. That was badass. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. They had largely the same fight, just uh, Donald Cerrone has just lost more steps than Jim Miller at this point. Um, kind of as you said last week, you, you know, they're both great action fighters, but Jim Miller's peak never quite reached the same heights as Donald Cerrone. That was mostly just because he was never as athletic as Donald Cerrone. Uh, well, and also Donald Cerrone used to get hurt all the time, but just had great recovery and was just insanely dangerous given his given his slice of the fight. Then when age just kind of equalizes the athleticism, Jim Miller's a better fighter. Yeah, Jim Miller just is still kind of essentially the same guy he's always been. He just hasn't lost that much. He's maybe a little easier to hurt and gets tired a little quicker than he used to, but mostly still Jim Miller. Um, and he was just able to hang in there and and find an opportunity to snag Cowboy's neck. Um, they had a weird kicking exchange where a Cowboy landed a high switch kick to Jim Miller's neck, uh, which landed and, and uh, definitely affected Jim Miller. But Jim Miller uh, landed a body kick on Cowboy at the same time, which just uh, knocked Cowboy off balance. And just if you leave your neck out there to Jim Miller in a scramble in any way, he's uh, he's going to snag it, even if he's hurt. Uh, so yeah, uh, Jim Miller becomes the all-time leader in wins in the UFC. And he's on a fucking three-fight win streak. Yeah, with increasingly better competition. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, Donald Cerrone retired. It was probably about time. Um, I know you don't like Donald Cerrone. He's probably kind of a fucking douchebag. Um, but nonetheless, I would still like to take this moment to thank Donald Cerrone for the memories. He's just had a lot of fun fights. I wouldn't say he was a great fighter, but he has always been a lot of fun, and that's basically all I want. Yeah, and to add a little bit of salty to your sweetness, uh, fuck that guy. That's all I got to say about Donald Cerrone. Look, look, he he just lost fucking 18 times in a row and ended his career. You know, isn't that enough? Yeah, yeah, it's exactly enough. <laughs> uh, and, but, you know, before that, we had Ian Machado Gary, decision Gabe Green. Yeah. Like I've been saying, Ian Gary needs to drop the Conor McGregor thing, but he is pretty okay. Uh, someone with reach and foot speed who cannot capitulate on the back foot, always going to be a problem in, problem in MMA, particularly in a not very good division like welterweight. So Ian Gary is okay. I'd like to see him in a fight with Daniel Rodriguez, but they definitely will not make that because no one gives a fuck about Daniel Rodriguez and he would probably win. Yeah, the, the biggest criticism I have for Gary from that fight is that his accuracy looked terrible. Like, he would have Gabriel kind of dead to rights, uh, like, positioning-wise, to land a really hard combo on him. He would throw, like, four really quick strikes ending with a head kick, and almost none of it would land clean. So, if he works on that, he could be pretty difficult, people. But until then, I think he's going to keep decisioning cans that they give him, and then if they give him a slight step up, he's going to get outclassed. Like, if you give him Matt Brown, oh, it's a rough fight for him. Yeah, I mean, thinking about it, D-Rod is probably pretty mean for him at this point in his career. Oh, yeah. But, um, you know, if he's not ready, then what the fuck's he doing in the UFC? Fucking fight D-Rod, don't be a pussy. 
Um, I actually missed uh, this one. Okay. It was sick. Brad Tavares' chin is still ridiculous. And just because Du Plessis has some of the worst mechanics I've ever seen, and his brain thinking leaves a lot to be desired, but he's an exciting fighter. Uh, he they it was just Brad Tavares like trying to teep some wasn't like working very well. He had some good ideas for landing straights like Driscus made the fatal flaw of trying to knock out Brad Tavares after the first round. He like fell over into grappling with Brad in the first round, and it just did not work out well for him at all. Uh, you can you can only knock out Brad Tavares in the first round. Yeah, you can't knock out Brad Tavares in a round that isn't the first round. This is insane. Yeah, the only other one I actually caught, Uriah Hall versus Andre Muniz. Uriah Hall did not get armbarred, but he just like had his back taken for like 14 minutes. As we said, Uriah Hall, good defensive jiu-jitsu, but will just get stuck in those positions and not claim initiative. And it seems like he is more and more uh, willing to just calmly lose fights and uh, finding... Lesser dangerous dynamic moments. He's uh, not exactly a young fighter at this point, and he has always kind of relied on uh, wild card power to, if not just uh, get instantaneous finishes, uh, get like big moments of damage that change the shape of a fight. You know, this is kind of just like the shoe face fight. If he wasn't absolutely fucking destroying shoe face every second they were standing. Yeah, and uh, before that, Macy Barber. Uh, made Jessica I look bad and Jessica I retired. Oh, she did? Yeah, rip Jessica I. I will always remember her. Ha. Uh, yeah, I've had enough fucking teary goodbyes on this podcast already. Jessica I deserves Jessica more of a teary I. goodbye than Donald Cerrone. I've enjoyed her No, she does. More. <laughs> Christian, shut the fuck up. I mean, she, she got into a title fight. So, she, equal level with Donald Cerrone. Um, and then... Before that, uh, Julia Stolyarenko got her first win in the UFC against Jessica Rose Clark. It was a crazy less than 45-second banger where both got affected on the feet and then a scramble happened and Julia got an armbar. So that was neat. Good on Julia. Oh, I should watch that. Yeah, it was a very good fight. Rough streak for Jesse Jess, though. Yeah, maybe she should stop wrestling. It would appear so. Her striking has regressed because she's worked so much on her grappling and her grappling has not gotten up to a point to where it makes up for her striking getting worse. So she's just become a worse striker that initiates her B game too much. Classic MMA skill regression. You hate to see it. Maybe she's been hanging around with Brad Riddell. Um, so that's that card. Uh, the card this weekend coming up has a particularly fascinating main event that I've been looking forward to for a while because it's been made a bunch of times and has fallen through. Yeah, former lightweight champion and one of the greatest fighters of all time, in my opinion, Rafael Dos Anjos, taking on a shit-hot striking prospect, Muay Thai crossover, Rafael Fiziev. An interesting crossroads fight. Interesting style matchup. Because uh, RDA, despite being, as I said, in my opinion, probably like top 20 pound for pound all time. If I, if I was pushed to make a list, I don't even care too much about those kind of rankings, but whatever. Um, despite all of that, he just had just have like a really 
clear, specific archetype of fighter that he just loses to all the time, which is basically people with distinct physical advantages who can push him back and out-wrestle him. And that's not necessarily uh, Rafael Fazeev. Um, I, you know, he's definitely a lot faster than RDA, but I'd say RDA certainly will have a, a strength advantage um, as well as a cardio advantage. And um, there's just a lot of questions about Rafael Fazeev as a grappler because we just haven't really had to see him do it. Uh, occasionally he'll get on top of people um, if he's just absolutely styling on someone and it's just there, but he you know, mostly just... Uh, wrestles defensively in order to keep his striking going. Um, and he's always been pretty good at it. Uh, you, you know, obviously he hasn't fought a wrestler and grappler like RDA, but you can still make assessments of just people's instincts and decision-making and, you know, just fundamental wrestling defense against anyone who's trying to take them down. And Fazif, he just, I mean, he's just a fucking ridiculous athlete. He has insane hips and just like, his balance, core strength, and flexibility, I think, just make him a natural takedown defender. Uh, that being said, uh, Brad Riddell did get him down, and Fazeev did give his back in a scramble. And, you know, kind of as I was talking about earlier, Riddell just didn't have the awareness in those transitions to capitalize on that and, you know, let it go and just went back to striking. Um, so it just it does just seem like there's... Like, there's just a massive, the floor is lava zone for Fazeev in this fight, where, um, you, you know, RDA, he's not like a Charles Oliveira-esque, like, crazy uh, opportunistic submission, like, like scramble submission guy who, you know, if you, if you initiate, like, any kind of scramble with, there's just a chance that he's going to pull some crazy shit out and just sub you instantly. But he's just a very seasoned grappler and he's very aware of these situations. And I think that there just might be a levels difference where it com- when it comes to that. Um, you know, I think Fizzy could probably do a decent job of defending a lot of those takedowns. But if uh, RDA gets on top of him I, uh, uh, for like any prolonged period of time, I think he'll almost certainly submit Rafael Fazeev. Um Then the striking dynamic is interesting. Because uh, Fazeev, as I was saying, incredibly explosive uh, Muay Thai and kickboxing crossover. I've often likened him to like uh, Edson Barboza if he could stand his ground and just like had way better f- uh, footwork fundamentals. And, you know, he's able to constantly just put himself in good positions to always defend and counter crazy fast kicks and uh, like counter hook combinations. Um, and also just really good uh, kick defense and uh, counter kicks. So, uh, I'm just like, um, and RDA himself, uh, solid, solid striker when he's able to claim the front foot. Um, He's always kept making improvements, particularly since he got with Perillo. Uh, who's like really sharpened him up in the pocket because RDA always kind of relied just being able to like pressure behind body kicks and then having the advantage in the clinch, which is also another area because RDA is a great clinch fighter, but Fazeev himself is no slouch in that phase and is really good about just shortening the clinch, clinch exchanges to be able to uh, break with elbows and stuff. Um, 
it's just mainly the fact that um, what happens when RDA doesn't have a distinct kicking advantage and is fighting someone who has the footwork to basically force him to have a neutral space kickboxing match with him. And I mean, probably Fazeev knocks him out. You know, that Eddie Alvarez fight, just when uh, RDA wasn't able to dictate the terms of the exchanges just by pressuring... He kind of got a little bit unsure of the range and got bonked on an e- uh, just bonked on an exit. Uh, we also saw in that fight that RDA can be kicked back. Uh, like often, even like really good kickers in MMA tend to be so used to dominating kicking dynamics that they uh, like quite often don't have great kick defense themselves. Uh, Fazeev is a great kicker who has really good kick defense and is constantly countering off of his kick defense. Um, so I don't know. I kind of think, I, I, I think Fazeev's probably going to knock him out in the first round, but if it goes to the third round, then like RDA is almost certainly going to take over and win late. What do you think, Christian? I, I, I just went on about that one for a little bit, but it's one, one I've been uh, really interested in. Yeah. I think for all the reasons you laid out, uh, it's pretty safe to assume that Fiziev isn't very good if you take him down, but we haven't seen it. So since we haven't seen it, I think I'm going to bank on him being able to just keep top, like keep standing up. And if he keeps standing up, I don't see RDA being able to contest him at all in the kicking. I think he is probably going to kick at Fiziev, get a couple kicks checked, and then get counter kicked, and then have his kicks taken away. It like by the end of the first, if he doesn't get finished by that point, and then once he's kind of out of his offensive options, he's going to be on the back foot and probably get body kicked up, and then eventually polished off with a power punch combination. So I think I'm also expecting Fazeev to win, but with the caveat that I 100% believe that if Fazeev gets taken down, he gets submitted. So if he doesn't, that would be very surprising. It's just traditionally pretty easy to assume that if I haven't seen someone on the ground very much, they're probably bad there. Yeah, and it's not even that I assume that he's bad there. You don't have to be that bad to get submitted by RDA really quick. No, um, not at all. Or ground out and fucked up. I'm just, I'm just w- what range can RDA like be at in this fight? Does he have to just be in wrestling mode? Because like he's so used to dominating kicking what 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 is going to happen the first time he throws for like the first time in his entire ass career that he just throws a big old left body kick and fuzzy fucking limbos it and kicks him back while he's still regaining his balance uh, like i said like rda's boxing has sharpened up a lot more over the last few years like his jabs become a lot more versatile but i can still just see fuzzy repeatedly slipping inside of it to land big hooking combinations yeah, it seems like the the developments that RDA has made in his striking kind of just trend towards him giving Fiziev more opportunities to knock him out with counters. I can see the clinching being pretty close as well. And while RDA probably having like strength and control advantages, Fizzy probably like being able to break with offense more consistently. So that's that's kind of the fight. is is super interesting, but it. Uh, it seems a little bit like once we see it, it's going to be like, oh yeah, obviously that's always what was going to happen. Yeah, there's a very real possibility RDA will just have like a noticeable strength advantage and pick Fiziev up like a child and then hold him to the ground and then submit him or ground and pound him for a round and gas him and then beat him up later. 
Yeah, or Fizzy might just run up to RDA and just immediately end his life with like a head kick or a left hook. Yeah, there's a lot of ways the fight could end, but um, there's only like a few things that would be surprising for me. Like, you know, it seems like if the fight goes to the ground, RDA definitely wins. It's not even a striker versus grappler. It's just a striker versus an MMA fighter that can't enforce his grappling very consistently in the matchup I'm not expecting. So, like, RDA has tools to kind of stay in there on the feet for a little bit, but it's with the caveat that he has to initiate the grappling after a while or else the strike is going to get really one-sided. But then, you know, if he's able to really establish takedown threats and, like, leverage what I do think is probably going to be a pretty considerable cardio edge, you know, Fazeev, um, you know, he's talked about getting tired in fights before because of you know, the way that he fights in some of those fights and he definitely managed himself a lot better in the Riddell fight. But this is his first five-round fight and... Um, I just need to see him manage himself in that way against someone who he doesn't have like hours and hours of sparring rounds against already to really know that that's a stylistic development and not just a specific um, like matchup thing that happened. And, and RDA, someone who can grapple and puts on a pace. Yeah, uh, RDA is a cardio king and he is like coming up to Frankie Edgar on a most octagon time in UFC history. So just... You know, the, the, the experience, the well-roundedness versus just like, you know, not just youthful explosiveness. Like, Fazeev is, like, has a lot of uh, depth as a kickboxer. Um, is there anything else on this card that you give a shit about? I mean, Kaya Baraglio versus Armin Petrosian is kind of pretty cool. That's decent. I have nothing to say about it. I think I expect Armin Petrosian to probably win, you know, <laughs> but... I think it's going to be a really good fight. I don't have much to say about it. Said Nurmagomedov versus Douglas De Silva de Andrade. I'm Douglas absolutely taking DSDA. Uh, I think he can do basically what Hanny Barcelos did, by which I mean uh, be athletic as fuck and have fundamentals and not get worried about uh, spin kicks. Yeah, I think it's going to be really good. Like a lot of this card, I see fights that I think are going to be really good, but I don't have much to say about them. Like Michael Johnson versus Jamie Malarkey is just fucking weird. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know how I feel about that one. I guess I, I'm going to pick Jamie Malarkey. I'm going to pick Jamie Malarkey by knockout. Yeah. Um, Cynthia Calvillo and Nina Nunez, that's pretty cool. That's like a rerun of Calvillo versus Joanne Calderwood, except Nunez doesn't get robbed as much. You know, Antonina Shevchenko versus Courtney Casey. Yeah. Banger. That's fun. Oh, we got Ricky Tercios back versus Eamon Zahabi. Oh, David Onama's fighting. He's cool. Yeah. Treshawn Gore's fighting Cody Brundage. It's a pretty interesting card, even though it's not like a bunch of really in-depth fights. Yeah, it still doesn't really warrant that much more than just like a... uh... Uh, uh, a segment of us just like saying all of the names that we've heard before. Kennedy Nchukwu is fighting Carl Robertson. I expect that to be a banger. That's badass. Ronnie Lawrence fighting Sedyukub Kakromanov. That's all the fights on the card. We and are literally just naming the fights at this point. You do yeah, with, with this. We'll, that's we'll, 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 all there is. That's all there is to do for these fights, kind of. I just talked about the main event for like 83 minutes straight. What, what, what do you want from me? It's the most interesting fight. If people wanted us to, we could just be like, that's going to be a decision. That's going to be a knockout. That's going to be a decision. Uh, we will talk about the finishes or interesting decisions uh, in the recap for the card. But it, it's a good card on paper. Just nothing that special to talk about aside from the main event.
Because despite all these interesting matchups, I think almost none of these people are ranked outside of the main event. So they're not like like relevant fights in that regard, but they're still good fights. Well, that's us done for this week. You can catch us next week where, as Christian said, we're going to be talking about anything interesting that happens from that, uh, as well as previewing next week's card, which has an absolute banger featherweight main event that I've been looking forward to for a long time. Brian Ortega versus Yair Rodriguez. Uh, it's just so weird. I don't even know where to start. The card's also got bangers. Michelle Watson versus uh, Amanda Lamosh. Muslim Salikov versus The Leech. Shane Burgos versus Charles Jordan. Absolute bangers. Should be a good one. Uh, this has been the Forbidden Technique podcast. As always, if you enjoyed this content and all of the other great stuff that the fight site puts out, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Where pledge of just $3 gains access to a huge library of really high-quality analytical fight content. And then a pledge of $5 gains access to a, a Discord server where we have a really cool community full of interesting fight fans from a ton of different backgrounds. We're always having interesting discussions and we're really active in the chats. You can talk to us, talk to other staff members, come hang out in the VC on the fight nights. It's always good fun. Uh, so yeah, we'll catch you later. Peace. Later. Later.